You are Locked On Padres. Your daily San Diego Padres podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Lockdown Padres Podcast, which is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day for Tuesday, August 30th. As always, I am your host with sometimes occasionally, but certainly not always the most, Javier Reyes. You might be familiar with some of my baseball-related work at Just Baseball, where you can check live on the site right now my thoughts on Josh Hader and the whole incident. It's a very fun piece, guys. I hope you enjoy reading me write about stuff and may or may not compare the Milwaukee Brewers to E.T. All sorts of fun stuff in there, so go check that out. Also check me out on Twitter at Javapeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, and then at L-O underscore Padres for the accounts, the the, the live tweets, and what have you. Um, so be sure to check that out. And then check out the YouTube. Let's get the subscriber count up. Ladies and gentlemen, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about Fernando Tatis Jr. because there has not been enough games that have transpired for me to talk about, right? And your boy doesn't currently have too many ideas. That's because I'm waiting on uh, another person to be on the show to talk about some stuff. And that's going to be a fun one, let me let me tell you. Believe you me. I never understood that phrase, believe you me. Believe you me. It's just, uh, you know what, another phrase I don't understand? The more things change, the more they stay the same. Like, I know what it's supposed to mean, but when you, like, look at it, it's weird, right? But speaking of that phrase, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Let's talk about Fernando Tatis Jr. and the overall San Diego Padres as a whole and what have you. We're also going to be talking about a mock trade that I may or may not have put out on Twitter for clout. And then comparing the Padres to the A's. But first, starting with Tatis, guys. It happened last week. He had his apology, and he talked about... You know, how he, you know, obviously regretted the whole thing. And it's really bad he let his team down. And you've seen that the Padres have really struggled. It's funny enough that the Padres, as I started recording this, um, Brandon Drury decided to hit a two-run shot off of Carlos Rodon. So maybe he's coming along as well. And Josh Bell, maybe he's coming along as well. But when the, the suspension happened, you know, I did talk about it on my show, but I didn't react to the, the surgery announcement which he should be getting actually today, according to what reports are, um, have said, by today, right? That, that is what is expected, and he'll be out, but he should be back for spring training, even though he'll miss the beginning of next season due to suspension. I think there's a couple things we're talking about here. Um, I talked about with my show with Paul Francis Sullivan, call him Sully, of Lockdown MLB, how I don't usually trust baseball, when it comes to issues of character and locker room presences, because we've seen that there are Freddie Freeman types, we've seen that there are, you know, Madison Bumgarner types, these gatekeeping, almost always white players that really just are very exclusionary of other people's cultures, right? So I never know if Tatis is making waves in a clubhouse, or not Tatis, but a player is making waves in the clubhouse because he dyed his hair blue and likes to play hip hop music, in the case of, say, Derek Jeter, right, who talked about, um, one of his friends and teammates, Jorge Posada, said that his teammate, Chad Curtis, hated that Jeter played hip-hop music in the clubhouse. So this is something that permeates throughout all of baseball. But with Tatis, this is a guy who has had multiple infractions, multiple errors, and this is not the because he swung on 3-0. This is not the when he covered his eye when he hit the home run off of Trevor Bauer. It's nothing like that. Instead, it's not electing to get the shoulder surgery when you should have beforehand, right? And instead making it 
that at any time this could flare up again and you could be out for like three weeks, which really hurt the team in 2021 and contributed, at least in part, to their collapse. Then you have multiple motorcycle accidents. Then you have also before that the fight in the dugout with Manny Machado. And then, of course, you have the suspension. So Tatis has earned all this, unlike some other players, in my opinion, right? The other thing that this happens, that this impacts, is Tatis' legacy. And I don't like talking. I think legacy is often a word and a topic that is a little bit overused in sports. But what the heck? Why not? I'm going to talk about it anyway. Um, I think it's really sad. I mean, I'm getting YouTube comments already. Maybe they're from trolls and whatnot of people saying, you know, he's a cheater and he's just going to be known as the HGH guy, even though that's not necessarily what he took. Right. Like it's it's but that's kind of how people are going to remember him. I think the counter is that. While he is 23 years old and it stinks that he already has strike one, and if he were to get popped again, that would be an entire season, he's also 23 years old. And while it's hard to stay clean of just any type of drama for that long, no matter who you are, famous, not famous, or whatnot, it is true that people might forget about this by the time he's 30. They might view this as just a whatever, especially as, in my opinion, our beliefs on steroids stop becoming so primitive and so, you know, just very, very, or like, very elementary, very surface level, I think is the word that I'm using for, because PEDs, I'm not saying that I support cheating and whatnot, but I think that sometimes it becomes this thing that you has been damned and crucified so much to the point where it's like, yeah, I agree, but I think there are a lot more heinous things that occur in the sports world, and especially, right? that don't necessarily get that same level of malice from fans. At least that's just in my opinion, right? You could point to football right now with some fans cheering on Deshaun Watson, all sorts of weird stuff. But for me, I just think that's a little bit of a complicated issue when it comes to PEDs. Obviously, you should have been suspended, of course. Like, you broke the rules. But I do think that this is a thing where me personally, as someone who just enjoys talent and whatnot, I've just always had trouble with the idea that these things make or break you. Even in the realm of cheating the way the Astros did, Alex Bregman, right? He was looking a little bit lost for a year or so, right? Everyone said, oh, he was only good when he had the signs coming. And now he's been absolutely raking for the Astros, right? Maybe not to the same level as before, but it just kind of reminds me that, like, guys, athletes are athletes and they're phenomenal, right? Like, and that's why we love them. And I think that it's hard to just only make them this and that's it, right? Unfortunately, it does contribute. I can understand if, say, Tatis gets popped again at some point, if someone's like, Hall of Fame is off the books. But also that brings a whole issue of like, well, how many people in the Hall of Fame already are people that might have cheated? Right? We don't know this. We can make assumptions. That's my thing, right? I think it becomes a really dicey situation. So my thing, and I tweeted about this already, is that I don't hate Tatis. which is really damn disappointed in the guy. And I was like, you buffoon, you goober. I forgot to call him by the goober. But I'm not hating the guy forever. Hopefully he's going to come back. And for once, unlike the aforementioned Deshaun Watson, stay tuned for week 12 and 13 throughout the season. I know how the NFL works, and you probably do too. The redemption arc for Fernando Tatis Jr. can actually be something that's earned if he comes back next year and is awesome. And I'm really looking forward to it. But even though I'm looking forward to it, I still tried to trade the guy on Twitter. 
And we're going to talk about that, guys, because I got a lot of flack for it. And I'm not going to lie. Look, man, we all succumb to our basic instincts sometimes. You know what I mean? <laughs> I like seeing the numbers go up. And sometimes I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. Leave me alone. I knew it was going to do numbers if I put out a mock trade proposal for Fernando Tatis Jr. But I do want to talk about parts of that trade that I do stand by. Parts of it. All right. But before we get into that, guys, as you gear up for fall, you need the right people on your team. All right, to help your small businesses fire on all cylinders, LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond. It's the world's largest professional network of, no, 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 not just 100 million. No, not 500 million. 810 million people add you know, your job and all that stuff, and they've got these screening questions that, that helps you focus on different candidates and whatnot, all sorts of tools to help you out and find the person that's best for your business. It's why small businesses ranked LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. All right, guys, did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Well, get this. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on MLB. That's right, guys. See, if you just listen to my podcast, you get all these goodies. Get these little these little treats sprinkled in throughout. It's really great, right? That's linkedin.com slash locked on MLB to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, guys. We got to talk about tattoos more because it's fun. All right, we got to talk about the goober more. And let's talk about my tweet from last week from the account at Javapeno. It was on August 23rd that your boy, he's working. You know, he's looking up some comic stuff, gathering some assets for for some stuff that he's doing at work. You know, he's doing all sorts of stuff. He's doing this. And he decides, let me fire one off, you know? Because as much as I try not to be like the many other bad faith, bad characters in this industry and at the world at large, even I, you know, being the immortal being that I am, still succumb to mortal tendencies and urges. And one of those is that I really like when the numbers go up and the little interaction things go up on the Twitter. It makes my brain happy. I suggested the following trade, that the Padres trade Fernando Tatis Jr., who you might have heard of because we've talked about him, quite a lot and the Yankees trade shortstop Anthony Volpe outfielder Jason Dominguez catcher Austin Wells right-handed pitcher Clark Schmidt and right-handed pitcher Michael King and I said who says no everybody ragged on me for this let me be clear I can just read some of the highlight I could scroll right now and find some right that's a heinous trade for the Padres says Air Tatis uh, Nintendo, Nintendre, love that name actually. Why would you trade for a guy who's going to be out for the first 30 games and was probably only going yard because of steroids? 2023 is going to have an insane free agency pool, so the offseason is going to be crazy before any trades are made, right? All sorts of crazy stuff in here. And what's funny is, uh, I, both Yankees fan base and Padres fan base were each saying their own teams say no which I actually found a little bit interesting. Here's what I actually believe. I would not do this trade, obviously. I think that the upside of Fernando Tatis Jr. is through the roof. But I do want to bring the following into play, which is that I think that there are at least some reasons for why this could make sense. 
in a certain bunch of qualifiers and in a certain vacuum, right? One is if the Padres really want to clear up salary, right? If the Padres all of a sudden, they were like, you know, Peter Seidler and company, you wonder, are they going to keep allowing AJ Preller and company to keep spending all this money, even if it doesn't, you know, result in as many World Series titles and whatnot, right? That remains to be seen. If all of a sudden they're like, you know what? Uh, we need to save some money. Out of all the players on the Padres roster, who do you think would make sense potentially to fetch quite a lot and to be able to get rid of a contract in a 14-year deal, right? On top of just the money part of things, you'd be like, okay, cool. It's just kind of cool that we don't have someone locked up for infinity, right? Because me personally, I often think that long contracts for people who aren't fans of that team can be a little bit boring for baseball, right? So that's a possibility. And if that were to happen, Anthony Volpe is in like the top five of MLB prospects. This is a legit super prospect. And then you've got Jason Dominguez, who's getting Aaron Judge uh, comparisons, right? Then you've got Austin Wells, where, say, if the Padres seem to hate Luis Campizano, you say, let's go get this guy. He's a great catching prospect. We're going to need some catchers. Hey, maybe we could have two catchers with Wells and Luis Campizano. More good talent, even if it's the same position, is not a bad thing. It's a great problem to have, right? And then Clark Schmidt who's been an interesting player for the Yankees. Same thing for Michael King, who's hurt. I actually think that you might have to throw in like a Luis Severino into this trade, maybe swap out either King or Schmidt to make the trade a little bit less uh, absurd. But I do think that overall, um, I just think that it's worth pointing out that the Yankees, from their side of things, they would say, all right, well, we're the Yankees, and let's bring in a guy that's going to excite the heck out of our fan base. And he might be saying, hey, Aaron Judge, though. What about him? They have Judge. Why would they do that? This is basically, again, in a vacuum where the, the, the Yankees basically decide we're not paying Aaron Judge. We're going to bring in uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. for what could end up being a discounted slightly price in the future since he didn't, you know, say test the open market completely and get like that first $500 million deal, which he might have if he, you know, again, this is a lot of just speculation and ridiculousness. I think that one thing with this trade that I want to get across is, first of all, no, it can't be done because bottom line is the guy is too blockbuster. I think that that's a key part of this. And I think that the Padres, it would behoove them to hang on to him just for the factor of how many people are getting into baseball because of him. This isn't just a great player. This isn't your Paul Goldschmidt. This isn't your Nolan Arenado. This isn't your Trey Turner. This isn't your... You know, uh, Raphael Devers, right? This isn't your, like, these great baseball players. Elite talent, like, top of the top. Paul Goldschmidt's probably going to win the MVP this year. This is about a guy who is more things than that. He's he's exciting. He's fantastic. He's super electric to watch. And I could see a world in which the Padres say, let's replenish the system and have a little bit more flexibility. And the thing that I think is worth talking about here is that I wrote about this at the trade deadline, and that is, this is a lot of turnover that the Padres made at the deadline. And as I said, you know, we're hoping that Brandon Jury and Josh Bell can pick things up, but just naturally, it seems to almost not work a lot, right? And I think that Padres fans, and I talked about this on yesterday's show, have this misconception that all the Dodgers do to be good is just trade and buy. When in fact, they've raised good talent and they've started really small with small little moves and built up and then they did all that other stuff. So for the Padres, look, it's not a trade I would do. Let me be clear. I actually think the Yankees 
are so high on Volpe from people that I've talked to that they really don't want to trade him at all. And I think that them not committing to a shortstop in this past offseason is an example of that. The only reason I brought up the Yankees is because, again, I'm trying to get that engagement. You know how Yankees fans are. And two, because out of teams that make sense, I think that in terms of shortstop prospects, the Yankees probably have the best one right now currently. I mean, you could maybe say O'Neill Cruz of the Pittsburgh Pirates, but then they don't have as much other stuff that they can back it up with, right? Like, could you get Cabrian Hayes, right? Imagine if Cabrian Hayes can move to, you know, what's what's a position the Padres could use, right? Like, I, not really. Cabrian Hayes is an electric, elite, all like uh, potentially Hall of Fame type of glove over at third base. That wouldn't work. So it's the only other team that I could see feasibly kind of making this trade. Maybe the Cleveland Guardians if they emptied their entire system. But you know how the Cleveland Guardians are. They're not going to do it. So it's the only kind of feasible team that I saw that would make sense, right? Only team that could at least make sense. Some variation of Volpe, Wells, and Dominguez, plus some other stuff that could work for the Padres, to deepen their team and say, hey, man, next year, we ain't going to have Sean Manaya. We're not going to have Mike Clevenger, probably. We do have Joe Musgrove, and we do have Blake Snell and you Darvish, but what are we getting out of Snell and Darvish? We don't know for sure. Let's bring in Luis Severino. He could be really fun, right? It's at least worth pointing out. And you know the Padres love trading for, or at least having, these really talented pitchers on the roster who just get hurt. Uh, shout out to Nelson LeMet, right? So it's at, it's just worth talking about. And I think that my bottom line that I want to kind of get across is, while it's not a good trade because of the upside that Tatis has, because of how Blockbuster, what he means for this team, I think that it's not, we're at a, we're at a point where it's not the craziest offer in the world for you to be like, huh. You know, like if, if there reaches a situation with all those factors that I brought up, if we reach that situation, it's not insane that the Padres are like, let's at least pick up the phone. You know, maybe we can swindle another good player out of this, right? Maybe we can swindle Oswaldo Cabrera or some other prospect that they have, right? Like get another good outfield player. Maybe Benintendi gets involved, something. I don't know. But I do think that that shows you how much the Tatis kind of... um bandwagon uh has has fallen off the rails just a little bit um you know it's it's funny seeing all these tweets though someone said he's going to the orioles uh just a lot of ridiculous things and and i what's funny is about this tweet i literally said under the tweet for what it's worth i have no opinions on which teams should say yes or no it's mostly just a social experiment and everybody passed in flying colors guys um just absolutely absolutely electric stuff I really did appreciate it. I really did. And um, I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm getting depressed now, thinking about the fact that it's not the craziest thing in the world for the Padres to be like, let's give this a shot. Because lastly, what I want to point out, and I pointed this out yesterday, the idea that the Padres only prospect hug, that used to be true, now they do have the stars with Tatis and Machado. Right. So and and soda. Right. So actually filling out your depth is not a bad idea. So that's all I'm saying. I would not do the deal. Let me be clear. But there is a universe in which I can understand why it would make sense. Something along those lines, you know, especially if Volpe is really as good as everybody has been making him out to be. But that's just me. I am an idiot after all. Right. Who knows? Oh, I can't wait for the comments on this one. Guys, let's just uh, let's take a breather. Let me take a little bit of a sip of my orange old juice over here. 
if you're wondering, it's Stewart's Orange and Cream. I love this thing. Let's talk about my other hot take, which is, are the Padres a little bit like the Oakland A's? Now, I know what you're thinking. Saying, what the heck is this guy talking about? The Oakland A's? They don't spend any money at all. What are you talking about? Well, my friends. Well, my friends, let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you, man. Do you remember when the Oakland A's made that trade for John Lester? It's actually kind of a somewhat famous trade. And it was, at the time, it was Yoenis Cespedes for John Lester. It happened in the deadline. It was one of the last times that a top-place team traded one of its top-place players. That doesn't really happen, right? That's just not something that happens in baseball. Usually, if you're a contender, you trade your prospects. That way, you can get talent that's ready now. Or if you're not a contender, you trade your pretty good players that you have to get some prospects to prepare for later. It is a, it's a seesaw, right? Not usually in the case of baseball that you had Yoenis Cespedes, who finished as a an MVP candidate, or at least like was somewhat of an MVP candidate for the Mets the following year. Superstar slugger for a little bit. His star burned bright and, and burned out fast, but he was great for a time. And the Oakland A's had like one of the best records, if not the best records in baseball. And they said, you know what? We have all the offense in the world. You know how you win postseason games? You go for pitching. You like to have some starters that you can rely on, right? And it's funny because... I've been wondering, is it possible that the Padres go the way of the Oakland A's? And let me be, let me let me let me explain that a little bit. First of all, you have the blockbuster trade, and for us, that is Juan Soto, obviously. That is qualifier number one for how this comparison to the Oakland A's makes sense. Hear me out. Hear me out. All right, we're trying to have some fun on today's episode, guys. Hear me out. Hear me out. Piece number two is that it is a superstar player that the Padres are acquiring, and he's performing well. This isn't the case of, say, if Brandon Drury keeps up the way he is, or Josh Bell. I know that Brandon Drury hit a home run last night, right? This isn't the case of saying, oh, like, this is a, a player that fell off. Like, you, it's an Adam Frazier, right? Like, you, you trade for this guy, and then he absolutely stunk. No, Juan Soto's been awesome. Similar to the Oakland A's, John Lester was awesome for the Oakland A's for that half season. He was what they got. Like, he's what they wanted. Like, he was absolutely phenomenal. I'm actually pulling up uh, the numbers right now because I want to remember exactly when it was, if I can find the Oakland A's period. Was it 2014, I think? Was it 2014? It says here he had an ERA of 2.46. I think it was 2014. I can't remember for sure. I'm pretty sure it was 2014. But anyway, he was really good for the A's, uh, albeit in a short time span. And then Yuena Cespedes was really good for the, hold on, the Boston Red Sox, or at least pretty good. He wasn't as amazing, and he ends up being a little bit better later. It's the a trade that no team on the surface level loses. With the Washington Nationals, right back to the Padres right now, they got a lot of assets. And I, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we know for sure that Robert Hassel, C.J. Abrams, and all these guys are going to be what they are. But you get them, you get James Wood, you get Mackenzie Gore, who was like a rookie of the year. Let's not forget how good Mackenzie Gore was, guys. Don't be fickle now. He was awesome for a while. Then he starts getting lit up, and then he goes on the IL. Maybe it was because of an injury, right? Maybe that's what it was. So if you were going to have to trade your star, which I actually think it made sense for the Nationals to do it, considering that he clearly wasn't going to resign there, and considering that they genuinely do have nothing, right? This isn't the Red Sox when they traded Mookie Betts 
where they at least had some pieces there with your Devers, with your Bogarts, with your Sale, with your... I think Craig Kimbrell was still a little bit good uh, at the time if he was still pitching for them. Matt Barnes, like, you, when he was still good, right? Like, you had stuff. You had, you know, good players. And the Boston Red Sox said no, right? J.D. Martinez, all these guys. And they said no and got rid of him. The Nationals genuinely have nothing. So it's a, it's a win on both team sides, right? That's the second connection. Number three is the scary part. The Oakland A's kind of infamously just fell apart after that. And I'm wondering, you know, the Padres, a lot of people, they're complaining. Their offense has been really up and down. Blake Snell, he gets touched up a little bit lately. Um, even though he's been still better as of late, he's been much better than last year for sure. He's shown improvements. Joe Musgrove, since the contract extension, he hasn't been very good. And then, almost inexplicably, a lot of other players on the team have just regressed, and it hasn't been the main guy, right? The Oakland A's trade for Lester, he was great. Padres trade for Soto, he's been great. On base above 400, he's hitting like 280, he's hitting home runs, he's been awesome, he's been amazing, he's been amazing. You say, wow, Jerks and Profar all of a sudden can't hit anymore? He just got moved down the lineup. He's batting like 7th for the Padres right now, right? And then you say, oh man, that stinks. And then Brandon Drury and Josh Bell both start underperforming. And then, uh, you know, it's there's just a bunch of players all throughout. Right? Jorge Alfaro hits the aisle. Like, all these little areas, right? And all of a sudden, the Padres just kind of regress. Now, of course, there are some differences here. The Oakland A's were literally one of the best teams in baseball, while the Padres are at least in the top seven or eight, maybe, can I say? They're in that range. But that's my wonder, is the way the Padres have gone, the way that you've seen Josh Hader develop, he's imploding. The way you've seen Sean Manaya develop, he's been imploding every start to the point where people, very stupidly, as I talked about yesterday, were blaming Luis Campizano. Is there some Oakland A's vibes with this team? Where you're like, the trade itself was great, but for whatever reason, and for things that we can't project as fans, and as people like me who aren't as smart as all of the fan graphs, writers, and baseball experts out there, that this might be just a simple case of you tried building a fantasy and for whatever reason, although it doesn't necessarily mean the same in baseball as other sports, the chemistry change just sets something off. You know, sometimes guys just, it just happens. Right? Maybe this is just an inexplicable thing. And the Oakland A's were almost one of those inexplicable things. The bright side of this is that the Oakland A's did at least still make the playoffs. So that's the bright side, is at least it means that the fighters are not having a collapse like last year, right? Um, but I do wonder if they're going to hold up. Um, and I do think, unlike Oakland, that there are players on this team that had a little bit more um, previous pedigree, I think, than the Oakland A's. That year was a year when players like, I can look it up right now, Brandon Moss was an all-star. Do you know who that is? Probably not, but he had like 28 bombs like in the first half. He was great. Um, he was awesome. Uh, also on that team, I believe, was Scott Casimir. I'm looking right now, actually, on the team. You had Eric Sogard. Remember him? Donaldson, was. it turned out to be pretty legit. But then you had Josh Reddick had been performing well. Coco Chris, Jed Lowry. Um, I, I mentioned Brandon Moss is probably the biggest example of someone who been playing over his head. At the time, Scott Casimir, Jason Hamill, Sonny Gray. They had some good players, but not these players that had shown that they were capable of this before. Donaldson, at this point in time, this is kind of his breakout season, right? Like his first pretty good season. 
hits 255, 342, slugs 456. Then he goes to the Blue Jays and becomes an MVP, right? But at the time, kind of not really known quantities. With the Padres, you have Soto right now, which is someone they acquired. Okay, fair. But then you have Manny Machado, and then you have Hugh Darvish, and then you have Joe Musgrove. Some players that have a little bit more of believability for their skills, like guys like Josh Bell. Josh Bell, yes, he'd been having a great season, but even before this year, he had a year where he hit 37 bombs, right? The one guy that would be the Brandon Moss of this team is Brandon Drury because he hit for the Cincinnati Reds in one of the more hitter-friendly ballparks for Cincinnati, and then he gets traded. It's basically his first year that he'd been really uh, putting it all together at the plate, and then he falls off in the second half. That would be their Brandon Moss in this situation. So, I don't know, guys. Are you getting vibes from that? It's actually not the worst comp in the world. Like, it's really not, because at least it still means that the Pirates can make the playoffs. Maybe they go on a little Cinderella story run. They get pretty far. Who knows, guys? You know how sports work? Why can't the Padres win? That's what I want you to ask yourself, ladies and gentlemen. Why can't they win? Why? Ah, forget the curse. Ah, forget Tatis. Forget the goober. All right? Let's make the playoffs first. And we're going to be the good karma slash fun version of that Oakland A's comparison. Yeah. Today was one of those days, guys. I didn't have every idea in the world. My apologies. But regardless, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For future episodes, I'm actually planning on talking with my buddy Millard Thomas of Lockdown Diamondbacks to do a fantasy draft in honor of fantasy football season, kind of shaking up, um, of past Padres and or I should say former Padres and Diamondbacks that have been traded, let's say since 2015, the beginning of the A.J. Preller era. Just draft former players that both of our teams have had. You know, Robbie Ray of the D-backs, right? Um, Jay Martinez used to be on the D-backs. Starling Marte. And, of course, with us, you've got, you know, Trey Turner. Like, there's some really fun guys out there. Ty France. Like, I think it could be a lot of fun. So look forward to that. That'll be kind of in honor of the fantasy football season starting. And then look forward to me hopefully boosting the video uh, as things kind of go along um, uh, throughout the rest of the week. Going to be recapping this Giants series. Hopefully they can take down Carlos Rodon and they can hold this lead that they currently have at the time of this recording. But with that all being said, guys, that about does it for today's edition of the Lockdown Padres podcast, the only pod that may be better than the Padres themselves. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Follow me on Twitter at Javapeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O at LO underscore Padres and Locked on Padres on YouTube. And until next time, stay safe. And of course, stay faithful. My Friday faithful homies, take care. Come on, come on.